Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready for a different kind of Vegas experience with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. When you think of the 1970s Raiders, yeah, the Oakland Raiders, you're thinking of hard-hitting and doing whatever it takes to win. And we have Phil Vilbiano, who actually encompasses that whole entire Raider image. Phil, great to have you on. You were born to be a Raider, don't you think? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. If I ever thought I could make it to the pros, then I would be. I would have definitely been a Raider. I mean, but, uh, you know, I look back at my life and, and the way I played football and the way I... I mean, I just loved football, and I loved the hard-hitting part of the game. And, you know, when I went in the NFL, there was no team hitting any harder or bending the rules this way and that way and having more fun. And I think, you know, my personality fit perfect with the Raiders. Yeah, it really did. And they were such a fun team because I grew up first as a fan, and then I ended up covering the team. And the one thing I loved about it, and it seems to be gone now, is you hated the Steelers, right? And, and me as a fan, I hated them too at the time. So I'm thinking, it, you guys cared. Yeah. And if you're writing for the Raiders, you know, you were, uh, you hated them because you, cause as a fan, you hated them because uh, you're writing for the Raiders, so you had to hate them anyway. But you know what? I think, I mean, I know we hated the Steelers, but then again, I think we hated everybody. Everybody wanted a piece of us. You know, we were that team that, uh, you know, you beat the Raiders, it probably counts two or three in the standings. Everywhere we went, uh, the teams wanted to beat us. And, you know, no no more than, oh, my God, how about the Wars? We have the Dolphins and, and, and the Chiefs and, uh, and uh, San Diego and Denver and everybody. You know? <laughs> so it wasn't only the Steelers, even though we uh, grew to be a special hatred to those guys because – they beat us, man. They beat us in, in the big game. Well, yeah, and I remember in 1976, I can remember that, where some people thought you guys were going to try to avoid them and, and lay down for the <laughs> Bengals. And boy, was yeah. that something that wasn't the case. And you, like you said, you hated the Bengals, too. <laughs> yeah, we hated everybody. And you, if you remember, you know, the, the, Bengals, the Bengals and the Steelers had the same record, so they were both as good. And I remember that big old, that big old food fullback Booby Clark or whatever his name was came to came to Oakland and tried I think it was a Saturday night special game and this guy came to play and you know Kenny Anderson had that team all jacked up Isaac Curtis and oh man they they, they had a bunch of great players so you know you just can't go out and John Madden explained that to us all week long hey man you ain't reading that stuff you don't be reading that stuff because we're we're going in the front door. We ain't coming in the back door. That means we needed to beat Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, two of the you know two of the best teams in the AFC, 
back-to-back. That was fun. Well, I remember when you came in, great rookie year, and then playing the Steelers, the first time this whole thing started was the Immaculate Reception. And all I can tell you is I keep seeing you get clipped. I I can't watch that to this day because I always see you being (laughs) clipped. I swear you were clipped on that play when he's running back. (laughs) The, The craziest thing, I can remember, you know, the guy diving right in the back of my legs, but I remembered I kind of hopped out of it. And I was really proud of myself for doing that. But if I would have just fallen flat on my face, maybe we would have got the call. Maybe not because we were in Pittsburgh. But I was really proud. I hopped, kind of, you know, you kind of just get your feet together. Yeah. But then you're talking about Franco Harris. He was gone, you know. So uh, there was no catching him. So I probably, I wish I would have fallen flat on my face. You're friends but, with Franco, yeah. aren't you? Oh, yeah, Franco and I have developed a very good friendship. And, uh, you know, it was really funny. I I was the uh, Italian-American over here in Trenton, New Jersey, Italian-American Player of the Year in 1971, my rookie year. And Franco became the Italian-American Player of the Year in 1972, his rookie year. And my father, who had such a good time, went back to the dinner the year after when Franco was being honored, and his mother spoke the same dialect as my father. They were both from right around Naples, and they had such a good time. And then my father reported that home to me, and, you know, Franco and I talked about it a million times. And then all the years that after the Immaculate Reception, we've gotten together. We've, we, we've grown a great friendship out of a Crazy thing, my spot. My father could speak the same dialect as his his mother, and also the uh, Macaulay reception, trying to prove if that was legal or not. So it was. It's been a good time messing around with Franco over the years. I know, as an Italian growing up in the Bay Area, when you got drafted, it's like, hey, he's got a vowel at the end of his name. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at one time, Steve, we had. You know, we had Daryl LaMonica, me, John Vella, and Mike Ciani. That's four Italians, probably only about seven in the whole league or six. <laughs> right. But we had four of them. And, you know, I think Al Davis was, was lucky with his Italians. And, they, you know, all of us had all good, all, you know, we had a great time being Italian, playing together. And, uh, you know, around the league, you know, I, I got – Friendly with Bonacani, you know, Nick Bonacani being Italian, and Franco being half Italian, and uh, you know, Shabelli uh, down there for the Rams. We, there was there was only a few, but the guys that were out there. We all had a special bond for each other. Well, I'm glad you brought up special bond because I remember covering the team out in Santa Rosa, you know, the preseason camps. And yeah. the camaraderie among you guys was unbelievable. Uh, my partner at the time was Monty Stickles, who was announcing the games for the oh, Raiders. Yeah, yeah and going up there and spending some time, you guys liked each other, too. I mean, it really was a bond. Yeah, we did. We we, 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 we did. You know, it, it was the way I, I didn't start it, you know. I, it, but when I got there, there was like George Blanda, Jim Otto, Pete Bannizak, Kenny Stabler, you know, Dan Connors. These older guys, they loved each other. The younger guys just blended right in. So whoever started it did a good job. I just helped to continue it and loved it. And, and, and to this day, you know, I think back about the older guys 
that were my buddies, and some of them are, are, are dead now, but uh, it was such a such a, a treat to play for the Raiders. And, and, you know, another thing, Steve, we all thought the same way. Al Davis drafted guys that were pretty similar going in. You know what I mean? It didn't take too much to tweak it one way or another. And like even like a guy like Monty Johnson. And Monty Johnson was a big monster from Nebraska. But he just wasn't a Raider-type guy in the beginning because he grew up on a farm you know, from right. Nebraska. And a lot of the Raider guys were city guys. And I remember Monty just kind of grooved himself right in there and became one of the boys. And, you know, when when that happens, it's such a good thing. And, you know, probably even Jim Otto, you know, even though he was – he just loved his teammates so much. He was a special guy to, to hang out with and to follow. And I remember when big Bob Brown came on our team. Now, Bob Brown played – he was huge, three three hundred ten pounds. Played with the Eagles, came when he came to us, and he became one of the boys. <laughs> it was so much fun to see Bob Brown come in with this attitude of the like NFC East, and all of a sudden he was an AFC West fun guy. So yeah, we 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 turned some guys around, and uh, but you know what? If you, if you didn't play ball and you weren't a Raider type guy. John Madden and Al Davis would make sure you weren't there too long. Well, I was going to ask you, you think this goes to Madden? Because they had guys that come in like Matuzak and Ted Hendricks who had difficulties in other places, yet they came there and just fit in really well. So that's the beauty of the Raiders. And uh, I remember I mean, I remember Otis Sischunk, and this is one of the guys, and, and you know, first ball-headed guy, never even played in college. And he came walking out on the practice field, and he had a stomach. He looked like he was eight months pregnant, you know. <laughs> and nobody cared about his stomach. It was getting to the, get to the passer, you know. So I remember Otis, they put him right next to me, and we had a great time together. And, you know, he he blended in within a day, you know. So it was, And the twos, yeah. How about Bubba Smith? You talk about a guy blending in Bubba Smith, you know. All those years with the Colts, he came out with the Raiders. And he couldn't wait to be a Raider and hang out and, and, and do the crazy stuff that the Raider guys did. So, yeah, it was a special team. And, and you know, you, you can't win that many years in a row unless you really love your teammates. More with former Oakland Raider, that's right, Oakland Raider, Phil Villabiano in just a moment. Phil was selected by the Raiders in the second round of the 1971 draft and played in 118 games with 117 starts. He recorded 11 interceptions for 160 yards and one touchdown and recovered 17 fumbles. This is Vegas Never Sleeps. I'm Xavier Mortimer, magician. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. Greece is cheap. But the airfare costs a fortune. Paris? Not much closer. And again, airfare... What about Puerto Vallarta? Let's face it, flying anywhere is just too expensive. Wait, what's this? 
low-cost airlines. With one call to low-cost airlines, you'll drastically slash your travel costs. We're talking insanely low airline prices to any of your favorite destinations. Where would you like to go? London, Rome, Costa Rica, Australia? Wow, that's cheap. So why wait? Call now to learn how crazy cheap it is to fly anywhere in the U.S. or international. Our prices are so low, we can't publish them. The only way to get them is to call to instantly hear the most amazing best deals on airline travel. It's that easy. So call now and start packing. 800-430-7923-800-430-7923-800-430-7923. That's 800-430-7923. Attention timeshare owners, call the timeshare exit hotline now. We can help you legally get out of your expensive timeshare contract. If you're fed up with the maintenance fees, learn how you can terminate your timeshare legally and permanently. Call right now for your free consultation, 800-803-5449, Everything is expensive right now. Gas, food, you name it. You're spending more, you're making the same or less money. So, what do you do? You rack up credit card debt. That's what you do. It's not your fault. It's the economy. And guess what? If you rack up too much credit card debt like some of us, you can't pay your bills. Then the credit card companies, as nice as they are, start hounding you for money. Then you start your downward spiral. A smart thing for you to do is to call the zero debt. They can help you consolidate all your credit card bills into one affordable payment. Millions of people have done it. It works to make you debt-free. Make this free call right now. It costs you nothing to learn more. 800-284-1349. 800-284-1349. That's 800-284-1349. You're listening to Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi. We are talking with Phil Villapiano, who was a member of several playoff teams, including the Raiders' Super Bowl XI championship team. There's a couple of guys that have not made the Hall of Fame. One is Coach Flores afterwards, who statistically, anyway, looks like a great fit, nice guy. And then Cliff Branch. How is Cliff Branch not in the Hall of Fame? Well, it's very, very strange. and. uh... The only way I can analyze it is we had so many good players and we had so many guys getting in that almost probably the whoever does the nominating probably said, whoa, 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 we have a Raider quota already fulfilled, you know, so let's go somewhere else. But a guy like Cliff Branch, he should have been in the Hall of Fame. And nobody could cover Cliff Branch. And now he's dead. It stinks when when you get overlooked like that. But that, hey, way back when, I'm not sure nowadays, because nowadays it looks like they picked on your credentials. Mm -hmm. But there was a time when you could get in just because they needed to have a 49er go in or, you know, someone like that, just to make it look good, you know, more of a popularity contest. But I think nowadays it's it's pretty pretty solid. Mm -hmm. But Cliff... At one time, he'll get in because he had 
He had the credentials. He wasn't just fast. He also made some great catches. Uh, oh, unbelievable. Let's talk yep. about that Miami Dolphins game, because I just thought of his great catch in that. You made a big play in that, too, and people might forget. You intercepted a pass, which that game could have still gone on. I, I remember being there, and it was an amazing it was an amazing exhibition of football that day, i got to say. Yeah, that was, you know, that was one of the f- most fun games I've ever been involved in. And, uh, that wasn't the championship game. That was the, the playoff game. Right. And, uh, the, you know, the Dolphins came, and, you know, the whole town of Oakland was so fired up to knock them off because they were 17-0 and 0 the year before. And, we, you know, we were going to be the spoilers. And I remember – I. Nate, Nate Moore, something ran back. Yeah. The opening kickoff broke our hearts. And then we we were battling back the whole day. And, uh, you know, I think the only time we took the lead was when we, you know, we took it at the end there uh, on the Kenny flip over. Uh, what, what, what did Clarence they call Davis. that one? What was sea that? of hands. Yeah. And then, you know, we, um, you know, we knew Greasy was going down. And, you know, me being around a little while, I knew – his favorite receiver, and I knew where he liked to to, to get him. I was playing on the you know on the left outside, and I saw you know I saw Greasy you know look look me off kind of, and as soon as he looked me off, I knew he was going the other way, and I started sprinting to the middle of the field right where I thought he would find Paul Warfield. And it was a good thing I made that play because uh, if Paul catches that, he had a lot of running room, but. I I got over there and pulled it in, and I I never I never forget the, uh, you know I knew how much John Madden wanted to win that game, so I I wouldn't let anybody have that ball. And whenever I gave it to John, and he stuck it up in the air, and <laughs> boy that was a that was a wonderful wonderful day. Beat a great team, and then we lose to the Steelers the next weekend. Ah, killed me, killed me, man. At home, too. Yeah, that was tough. Yeah, <laughs> so, I know. So a couple of years later, though, you get another chance, and this time you beat the Steelers. But if you watch it, the one thing that's really interesting is both teams are hitting back and forth. Nowadays, you'd never play that game, would you? I mean, there'd be officials, yeah. there'd be flags going every which way. And I, I think it was a more entertaining game then. Well, you know, Steve, I think you're right. And I, I, I mean, I don't want to say it just because I played in an era but I certainly would much rather watch a football game where anytime there's a good play now, you, you, you look for a flag. And, you know, if it's not the receiver, you know, the, the, the defender makes a good play, the offensive guy wants a flag. If the offensive guy makes a good play, the defender wants a flag, a push-off or something. It stinks. They've got to figure out how to calm the officials down a little bit and, and let these guys play. You know, I mean, I don't know how – I mean, they got so many rules now. You can't do anything to anybody. So does every. It's like every play, you're breaking a rule, and yeah. it's ruining the game. It takes too long, and it's you know there's so many games decided by the officials, and that's not the way football's supposed to be. It's supposed to be go down there and who the guy that blocks the hardest and tackles the hardest and scores the most wins. It's not that way anymore, and it really stinks. But, you know, I still do love watching the NFL, and I do love the scoring. But just keep the officials, man, give them a quota. You know, you can only have one penalty flag a game. 
So make it a good one, you know, something like that. It was kind of like pinball in the fact that you guys and, and the other great teams all did this too, is to try to see what you could get away with because that was part of playing it, you know, and if you went too far, sure. they'd throw a flag. But that was part of it. Absolutely, Steve. You got it. You know, you, you, you know, the, you know we, we used to laugh and, you know, we used to call it cheating is encouraged. But, you know, the, the cheating is you hold a little bit, you grab the guy's jersey, you know, you, you do things that weren't bad, but they could be considered penalties. And, and a lot of times they were called, you know, but a lot of times they weren't. And you get away with something that made you feel kind of cool. What was it like playing with Atkinson and Tatum? Because they were, the, they were a tough pair out there. And, you know, you're part of that defense. Did that help you guys, all you guys in front? Because nobody wanted to have them come from behind them and hit them. I mean, oh, I know. They were, we had a great group of safeties back there. I mean, Jack Tatum. I told uh, me and people this: when he would come up and hit somebody, you knew it, and not because you could see him. Because usually you're in there making the tackle, but the hit, the hits that he would put on the offense was amazing. And it was, and I, I, I related to, you know, a driver when you when you hit, you know, in golf when you hit, the golf ball hits right in the middle of the driver, it sounds different. And I used to say Jack Tatum sounded different because he would hit the guys so square and hard. And then George Atkinson was totally different. He was more of a street fighter back there. So we had a street fighter and we had a. An enforcer, you know, and wow, those guys could play football. And I, I loved having them behind me. When those guys would break through the line and break through the linebackers, they would say something to us because, yo, boys, our job's to cover. It isn't to make your tackles, you know. So they were, uh, they were a tough group. Fun, fun group to play with, though. Yeah. Talk about different personalities, too. I mean, Tatum... He, he was always he was always respectful and so forth, but I'd never want him mad at me. Whereas Atkinson was like Ooh. one of the happiest guys you'd ever want to see. Yeah, right. And uh, but you also don't want Jack to, uh, George Atkinson mad at you. I've uh, he was a tough, tough guy, and he still is. And Tate was a tough, tough guy. But you're right. The way they presented themselves was so different. But George Atkinson could get nasty in a heartbeat, and Jack Tatum. Was nasty all the time, and then it had to be something when you when you were taking a break and you were watching the offense out there, having Gene Upshaw and Art Shell, you know, like you say, and for a time Jim Otto there. What an offensive line, huh? I mean, that's like incredible. Yeah, it was. We had a tremendous offensive line, and you know, don't forget on the other side we had John Vela and George Beeler, and those two guys were just as tough as Shell and uh, and Upshaw. You know, Jim Otto started getting older, and they put Dave Dalby in there. That was a young, tough, tremendous offensive line. And it took a while. You know, Gene, Gene and, and, and Art were there. But, but you know, uh, Jim was getting older, and, and then George was new, and then we had Bob Brown, and finally John Belligan in there, and finally, not that Jim, Jim Otto wasn't the best. He, he was the greatest, but he was just – older in the 70s and he still kept playing he still getting he got injured every every week for some craziness when once we got the right ages in there oof, we were pretty darn good and they stuck dave casper in a tight end big old he was like a tackle out there so uh, 
Yeah, it's we could we could block anybody. We could open up. We can open up holes in anybody's line and also pass protect, which was the key to Kenny Stabler. I got to think Jim Otto must have been a great inspiration because I remember seeing him. He owned a Burger King, which was on the drive yeah. up to, uh, to Reno. And I always would stop in there. And this is like the nicest guy, and he'd be out working. And the poor guy, uh, his knees were awful. Oh, and, I yeah. Know. I know. How he played those last four or five years was beyond me. But, I mean, Al Davis was not taking him out. And John, uh, John, uh, you know, Madden was not taking him out of the game. So, I mean, he just kept getting beat up because once you can't move, you're a, you're a sitting duck for an injury. But somehow or another, Jim just fought and fought and fought and, and probably played three or four extra years. And, and great inspiration to me. What a great man he was. And he still is. And he is Mr. Raider. Well, then you, your career, as all careers do, kind of you got a bad injury, you end up going to Buffalo. They love you in Buffalo, too. How was that experience, having done all that with the Raiders for almost a decade? Yeah, well, it was beautiful. I, I, I couldn't believe when I when I went to Buffalo that the crazy thing was, you know, I, I look at the Bills, you know, they hadn't won much. I think they were. They might have won two games the year before I got there, and I figured I'm going to be a starter. And I was playing the inside with the Raiders at the end, but my love was outside on the left side. I'm figuring I'm going to go up there and be a starter. I go up there and being my agent, we told them what what we wanted to get paid, and Chuck Noska is done, just like that, no arguments. And he goes, but under one condition. And I said, what? He goes. You're not going to be a starter. Mm. I said, what? I'm not going to be a starter. And he goes, we have no depth. I brought you in here to play all four linebacker spots. And I'm going to call on you, and you're going to have to go in there and, and help me. But you're not going to be a starter. So, you know, I, I'm i like, okay, well, then I'm going to be on special teams. I, I told Chuck you got to put me on special teams because, Phil, you're in your 10th year. What, are you crazy? <laughs> I said, nope, I want to do that. So I became the captain of the special teams. Yeah, my fourth year, I, I up there, I injured my knee playing special teams. <laughs> but I had four good years and played a lot of good football. And I played, you know, inside, left, inside, right, outside, right, outside, left. I played them all. And I had a great, a great time, great four years. And I, I really... Love the city of Buffalo. A great town for people that don't know it. The people up there are fantastic. The football fans of the Buffalo Bills are tremendous. And I couldn't, I mean, I, well, let me say one more thing. A lot of Italians up there too, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed that part of it. And I just had four wonderful years. And Ralph Wilson, tremendous owner and Chuck Knox, tremendous coach, and Kay Stevenson coached me for a year. All these, I mean, I just I just can't say enough about Buffalo. I had a great time. You had a great career, and you had a fun career, right? I mean, every picture I see of you, you got a smile on your face. <laughs> you were enjoying <laughs> well, yourself. I was doing the thing I liked the most, man. I was not doing nothing more, nothing more than I would, that I would rather do. I, I grew up uh, loving pro football on television. I grew up thinking, man, maybe I can, maybe I could do it. Never knowing I could do it, but I did it, and uh, 
It was also like a dream come true for me. Do you miss seeing Oakland? Because, boy, that team and that city were so intertwined. I know Las Vegas yeah. is a great opportunity for them, and I think it's yeah. a great start. Yeah. But it's, I feel bad for the folks. Well, I do, too. But uh, And, you know, you, you have to realize, that, you know, if, if you went around, if you go around what you do to the other and look at the other stadium, Steve, that stadium was horrible. It, yeah. it was great at one time, but and I waited, I think, a half hour to go to the bathroom. I mean, it's terrible. The, the stadium needed to be redone, and why there couldn't be a group of people in Oakland to, to come up with the money to do it is beyond me. Why the mayor let the Warriors and the Raiders leave town is beyond me. I blame it on politics ruining ruining the most beautiful thing which was the Oakland Raiders in Oakland. So now you, uh, the Raiders have, I would have to say we were a strong regional team. Now going to Vegas, we become a strong national team, like the Dallas Cowboys, like the New York Giants, like the Philadelphia Eagles. These are the Green Bay Packers. They travel and they get as many fans from the, the opposing towns, as as the the towns, you know that uh, you know you go to you go to the Packers. You know we'll go to the Packers now, and we will have half the stadium. So we're going to become a national team. I love that. I love what the Raiders have done. I love. I've been to the stadium twice. I've had a great tours of the stadium. It's going to be magnificent. And you know what? It's going to be magnificent to the fans. The fans, there's a bar in that stadium, got to be 50 yards long. And anybody from any level could go to that bar. And right behind is the Al Davis torch. The Al Davis torch is now 65 feet up in the air. It's going to be beautiful, you know. Uh, I, I saw where the, the players going to walk through the, the fans to get to the, get onto the field. Pretty cool. Mark Davis is going to walk through the fans to get to his suite. It is so set up so perfectly, and that's the way it should be. This is 2020, man. This is not uh, – I mean, it's, it, this stadium in Oakland was, what, what, 50 years old? You know, it, it's like Cleveland. Cleveland knocked that old piece of shit down and put a gorgeous stadium. Kansas City did the same thing. You know, Miami did the same thing. It was the Raiders' turn to do it, and they didn't step up. Yep. My last question, and it's kind of a sad one, but I know you care about this stuff. And for the last decade and a little more, it's tough watching the Raiders. I mean, we're 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 seeing a change now, and yeah. I think the new stadium and Gruden back. But for a while there, after Gruden's first trip, things that you never thought you'd see back when you were playing, you were seeing uh, yeah. bad football. Bad football. I don't know what happened. Uh, I couldn't. I couldn't believe it. I remember. I'm gone. The Raiders are still winning Super Bowls. And, and, you know, I could have been in that Super Bowl in 80 and it could have been in the one in 83. And after that, they got so flat. And it just was, it amazed me what happened to my team. I love the Raiders and I, I couldn't believe it. But I am a, I am a John Gruden man and I'm a, I, uh, I'm a Mayock man. I am a car man. I am a, New linebackers on defense, man. We got a runner now, Josh. We got a wide receiver that's supposedly faster than the kid in Kansas City. We've got players now. 
Now it's up to John Gruden to coach. And I'm going to put it on him this year because they went out and got him. got him players. He, you know, he had to eat a lot of crap standing on that sideline for the last couple of years with no players on the field. Players that you knew you were going to lose going in. Guys that couldn't cover. Guys that couldn't tackle. Guys that, I mean, the schemes weren't good. I don't even think the coaches were good. But, man, I think the Raiders are all, I think this is going to be a great year from us. If we don't go to the Super Bowl, I say we're playoff bound. And then, you know, after that, once you become playoff team, you can work your way into a Super Bowl, which the Raiders have done three times before, four times before, five times before. They can do it again. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to a great season, Steve. One thing about you, and before we go, one thing, you've always been great working in the community, and one one thing you're doing with Bonacani and Harry Carson, I assume you're still doing it, was the flag football under 14. And I thought it was great because there were a guy who's as hard a hitter as you are. You realize that we got to be careful with kids and so forth. They can't start them out too yeah. early. Yeah, I totally like, you know, what Harry and Nick and I were doing. And and we're still doing it, but nobody's – well, I guess there are some some uh, school systems that are listening. And what we wanted was no tackle football to your freshman. And, you know, that means Pop Warner is out. So most towns aren't going to do that. You know, they want that, that they want their kids tackling when they're, you know, seven years old. I'm one of these guys that your whole body, I think, has to mature. And I'm not so even sure that the brain is mature at, you know, a freshman in high school, but it's better than it would be at six or seven or eight. Don't hit the head. But, you know, I I give uh, these people credit. Our boys up in Seattle are teaching how to roll tackle and, you know, and people, you know, not, not being able to use their head. And I think it's a good thing. So, hey, your shoulders are perfect to make tackles. Ram your shoulder in there. Have a good time. Matter of fact, I tell people when you tackle perfectly with your arms and your shoulder right in the middle of a guy's body, I think I've done this many times. It's a perfect tackle for me as a defender, and it's a perfect tackle for the offensive guy. It's almost like the offensive guy wants to say good tackle because nobody gets hurt, and you just go back to huddle and you start again. So I like the new rules for safety, and I, I, I do agree that let's not rough these kids up too early. We don't want to lose any good football players before they get to high school. The great Phil Villapiano. I hope to interview you again, maybe before the playoffs. <laughs> Anytime, <laughs> Steve. You call me. It's, been, it's always fun talking to you and you today because this was a good con- this was a good football conversation. Please follow Vegas Never Sleeps on all social media platforms, including X. Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Manchie reminding you, Vegas never sleeps. Vegas, here we go! If you are trying to quit drinking or doing too many drugs, listen to me. You don't know me and we'll never meet. I had a problem like you once. I drank and used to party a little too much till it got out of control and almost ruined my life. 
I realized I needed help to fix my problem before it totally destroyed me. If you've tried to fix your drinking and drug problem and you know you can't do it alone, you need to call the National Treatment Advisors. They'll immerse you into a 30-day program to replace your old habits with new habits and totally change your life. And if you have PPO, private health insurance, the entire program may be covered. Fix your problem right now before it gets any worse. Get clean. Call now and learn more. 800-537-3908. That's 800-537-3908. Holy Gentle Giants dog food, Batman. I'm Burt Ward, Robin from the Batman TV series. I was the caped crusader, and now I'm the canine crusader. After rescuing and feeding 15,500 dogs for 23 years, my wife and I created a natural, low-fat, heart-healthy, made-in-America dog food and special feeding and care program designed to help all dogs live amazingly longer, healthier, happier lives. Our dogs are living as long as 27 healthy, active years. Yours can, too. That's twice their normal lifespan and triple for some breeds. Would you like your dog to live as long as 27 years and still be active and healthy? Gentle Giants Dog Food is complete nutrition for all dogs and puppies, all ages and sizes, and is different from other dog foods without the greasy coating and high fat content that can shorten your dog's life. Try our Gentle Giants life-enhancing dog food for the longer, healthier, happier life of your dog. Now you can get generic Viagra shipped to your door for about $2 a pill. Get the same impact for less. Call Steel Man Pills now and get the same blue pill for about $2 a pill. Call now for the 50-pill special and save even more. Plus, get a free bonus. 800-870-3609. 800-870-3609. 800-870-3609. That's 800-870-3609. 